0: Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following Review will contain spoilers and may contain strong
1: language. It's been 84 years and I can still smell the fresh paint. The china had never been used. The sheets had never been slept in. Titanic was called... The ship of dreams. And it was. It really was.
0: Today we'll be discussing Titanic. Starring Kate Winslet.
1: I don't see what all the fuss is about. It doesn't look any bigger than the Mauritania.
2: You can be blasé about some things, Rose, but not about Titanic.
1: Leonardo DiCaprio. I work my way from place to place. You know, tramp steamers and stuff. But I won my ticket on Titanic here at a lucky-handed poker. A very lucky hand.
0: Billy Zane.
1: All life is a game of luck. Hmm.
0: A real man makes his own luck. Right, Dawson? Gloria Stewarts.
1: The others were gracious and curious about the man who saved my life. My mother looked at him like an insect.
0: And Bill
3: Paxton. 26
2: years of experience working against
3: him. If there's anything big enough to sink
2: the ship, they're going to see in time to turn. The ship's too big with too small a rudder.
1: Directed
0: by James Cameron. Fuck. Me! Is there anyone
1: there? Yes, what do you see? Iceberg, the ahead!
2: As she goes down by the head, the water will spill over the tops of the bucket. At E-Deck, from one to the next, back and back. There's no stopping it. From this
1: moment, no matter what. Titanic, we'll founder. If you may
0: get your headlines, Mr. Ismay Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast Something Picasso He won't amount to anything He won't It's Gally from
3: Glasgow Can anyone hear me? <laughs> it's <everyone> in London
4: <laughs> you just like have angels fly out your ass and get to the legs of her
2: It's Patrick in London
0: We'll both have a lamb Rare, with very little mint sauce, eh? <laughs> it's Matt in South Korea. Oh, welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, gang. You may have noticed that finally the ship has come into port. <laughs> so we've had what, 12 months of wrangling, Matt? Me and you? <laughs> yeah.
2: It goes back to LA Confidential where I slagged off Cameron, if anyone's interested in going back to hear that diatribe.
0: I-, I think we've been, we've been jousting for some time. The ship has finally been built from Big strong Irish hands like Patrick's, uh, as you could tell from his, his intro there. So we are going to do Titanic. This, this, there's no series. There's no throwback. Is this not like uh,
4: Matt versus the podcast or something? Cause we, he, he's made it known prior to the episode that, um, he criticises this film.
2: Are you trying to make a Billy Zane villain of me? Is that what's happening? Well,
4: I'm not trying, mate. <laughs> You've already put <laughs> you the tell- lamb for us all against our will.
3: Can't see this, listeners, but Matt has at least 12 fully set breakfast tables <laughs> in his flat. and He's, gonna <laughs> split <one>. he's
4: wielding <laughs> an empty
0: champagne glass as we speak now, as he as he addresses us. We're trying to strike whilst the iron is hot. 25th anniversary of the movie coming up. And also... um, Oh god. Hey, 110 years.
4: 110. Years. 110.
0: Thank you very much. My math's not as good as Rose's, clearly. So I would have definitely not realized oh, Will that there's only half a mouth. Oh, <laughs> Will Smith! Yeah! <laughs> <indeed>. <laughs> you know, not to, not to, you know, go off piece a little bit, but we might very well refer to that incident at
2: some point. Does anyone get slapped in this? I'm trying to think. Does... Yeah, yeah, Rose does. Yeah. Rose gets slapped.
3: Billy Zane just slapped
0: the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh we went there oh fuck me we did we did uh but of course we do not let's just make sure we're serious we do not condone violence at all but what we do is um we we do like to see some madness um literally spill into our lives from the from the greats in hollywood which we saw last week so there we go we will start with our history of the movie and matt as the as
4: the villain of the piece the antagonist of the podcast
0: yeah indeed your history with uh with the great ship and the great movie, Titanic.
2: I was about 15 when it came out, I think. So I'll have been 16 when I finally saw it on video after a friend of my dad's, I think, left a video at our house for us to borrow. A lot of girls at school were really into this, like, and into Leo at the time. Uh, I remember the, the way he smoked and his hair, they, they'd sort of remark upon, on that a lot. But it wasn't, I didn't really feel like it was made for me, so I, I sort of picked it up on, on VHS later it wasn't even a rental it was just something that was left at our house uh, but I felt a bit of an obligation to see it as a film fan because it did so well at the Oscars um, and I remember I was impressed by some of the sinking visuals in the third act but um, the, the rest of it um, I was fairly ambivalent and kind of uh, remained steadfast in my disdain for it over the years i just felt like it was a very obvious love story and kind of cliched and not really not really for me so going back and revisiting it was was very interesting i will say I've, I've it has softened a bit um but i've yeah I'm, I'm kind of a bit bipolar on this one i'm i'm split down the middle so i'm going to see how the chat goes and uh see if i can be convinced
3: otherwise uh i'll pass to devlin next how about you dev so yeah this would have been an early cinema foray for you know uh me and me and the boys <laughs> <laughs> i definitely who were the boys uh, uh okay so it was definitely a number of us please went be nicknames school. please um and and i think <laughs> i think Uh, there was, it was quite a, it was quite a big group. The only person I definitely remember being there though is, is my friend Hacker. Hacker! (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There we go. Uh, was it all lads, Deb? No, I don't think so. I think there were a couple of girls in there, although Uh, I didn't talk to them because I... Now it makes sense. Cripplingly incapable at that age. And, um, and I do remember I saw it twice, uh, at the, at the Darlington Odeon. I think probably it would have been either that I was just young enough that I hadn't yet developed an irritating tendency to reject things that were very popular, uh, or that I did, but the film sort of worked on me despite myself. And, uh, uh, I also remember seeing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell him out here. I remember seeing tears just, just gathering in the corner of big hack shacks eyes. <laughs> really um so uh uh you know just a little glisten smoky in that screening was it it is it is so um, someone's been cutting onions i've seen it it kind of sporadically since although um again like so many of these films probably one of those films that um you watch a lot when it's on but perhaps structurally sitting from start to finish maybe it's not one that comes out quite as often. Um how about you, Patrick? I have an interesting history with the film. Uh actually i am been trying to
4: write it all down because it's it's quite a lot. Firstly, it, it was a really interesting first experience for me in the cinema to see this. So I'd have been eleven in January ninety eight. No, I wouldn't have been mean twelve, excuse me. And <clears throat> it was like my first year of secondary school. And I remember it was Joe Lee, myself and two girls, and I can't remember if it was Shadi and Siobhan or Rebecca and Charlene. I can't remember, but there was four of us, and we went. <clears throat> and we—this th- is the thing I don't remember—we didn't get in to the screening because either it was sold out, we hand booked ahead because we were kids and we didn't really think like that, or it was—did we? Was it a twelve? I don't think they believed we were twelve or something. Yeah, it was—it was, it was one of the other reasons. So. We <laughs> So we were dead upset, really annoyed, and we decided to go into the next screening that was available because we're at the cinema and may as well make the most of the time. We went to see, to see Neil Morrissey's Up and Under. About 15 minutes into the screening, a member of the Odeon staff at Freeman's Park in Leicester came and went, are you Joe Lee? To, to my friend Joe. He's like, yeah. And he's like, your mum's been on the phone. We've got you into the Titanic. So we went, left that screening, went into the screening of Titanic. We had full seats, fucking good seats as well. It was a big screen, but we missed the almost the entirety of the, um, Bill Paxton opening stuff. So we kind of joined post cleaning up the picture, but just as she's starting to tell the story, I think, or, I was trying to remember or I joined in the card game and I didn't remember any of it. But anyway, we missed, we missed quite a significant like part of the, of the beginning and then we watched it. And it, I remember like to this day, it's one of my favorite cinematic experiences that, that film, like the audience were well on board. There was cheering when Rose spat at, um, Cal. And yeah, it was like, it was a real, I remember it being a real event movie at the time in the cinema and I had a really good time. And I went back to see it again because I'd missed the opening. And since um, like with Melissa, uh, well she's mega fan. This is her number one film. We have, we have Titanic books in the house. We have this poster here. That I'm showing the guys, not very good for radio, but I've got a oh, white star line cool. poster. I have a poster in the room, in the guest room that's of the, uh, the the um propellers at the back and the scale with the workers and a bit we've been to the titanic museum in belfast and expeditions and like i've got a little micro machines titanic over at the corner of the room so it's kind of uh (laughs) if you hadn't guessed it we like titanic we watched it on the projector uh the other night and i mean she can she can recite it word by word and um we watch it quite regularly to be honest um Yeah, so I managed another screening with Critical Eye, ready to chat to you guys this morning.
0: Patrick, can I just go back to that first screening? Mm. I'm getting uh, real Matt Dillon, there's something about Mary vibes. (laughs) So you missed the Bill Paxton stuff. Yeah. So the first would it be the first time that you saw Old Rose is when it goes into the eye eye. when she's naked? So you would have been like, What what the fuck? First chink of the armour, Ted.
4: (laughs) 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 I remember at the time as well, uh, being in a queue, like in the Shires, and that's the shopping centre. And someone in front of, I was with my mum, I think, and someone in front of us was like, oh, that Titanic's on at the cinema. Oh, yeah? What's that about?
0: <laughs> and uh, to which we we, yeah, we found quite amusing. So, Patrick, it's been 84 years. <laughs> We're ready to go back to Titanic. Can you please remind us and the listeners of the plot summary for Titanic?
4: Aboard research vessel Keldish in 1996, Brock Lovett and his team search the sad ruin of the great ship RMS Titanic. Lovett hopes it's payday when they recover a safe, hoping to find a large diamond called the heart of the ocean within. Sadly, there's no diamond, but a drawing of a nude lady wearing the diamond. There's hope yet. A 100-year-old Rose claims it's her in the picture and recounts her tale to Lovett 84 years after she smelled the fresh paint on the ship of dreams. We're transported back to 1912 and see 17-year-old Rose in her privileged life boarding the Titanic. She was difficult to impress back then, escorted by her fiancé Cal who claims God himself could not sink this ship. He makes his own luck. Unlike Drifter, Jack, who has nothing and nothing to lose while gambling everything he has at a card game in the hope of procuring tickets to travel to America on board the Titanic, along with his friend, Fabrizio. They're the luckiest sons of bitches in the world, winning the tickets and boarding just in time. Little did they know that luck would soon run out. The Titanic steamed west out of Ireland as third-class Jack and first-class Rose as paths crossed and Miss Rose's contemplation of jumping overboard. Her overbearing mother, underwhelming fiancé, and upper-class life becoming all too frivolous for her. She felt like she was standing at a great precipice with no one to pull her back, no one who cared or even noticed, but Jack noticed. He saved her life that night in more ways than one, and their instant love would be felt across the Atlantic. They spend time together away from Rose's fiancé, spitting, dancing, appreciating art, when on the night of April 14th, Rose asks Jack to draw her like one of his French girls and experiences one of the most erotic moments of her life. It was true. Rose truly is the new girl in the drawing. Jack and Rose make steamy love in a car below deck and run around avoiding Cal's valet in hot pursuit. Rose tells Jack she will get off with him when the ship docks, but bugger me! Iceberg right ahead! Try as they may, they, the crew cannot avoid the iceberg. In such a clear night, the bags are harder to see and the ice punctures the ship's starboard, breaching five compartments. She could stay afloat with four compartments breached, but not five. Not five. From this moment, no matter what they do, she's made of iron. Titanic will found her. She will. Jack, Rose and the 2,200 souls on board have an hour or two at most to escape and survive the impending inevitability. Despite a CQD distress call, no ships come to aid in time and Titanic starts going down at the head quickly. Lifeboats are deployed but there's not enough by half. Women and children take the lifeboats first organized by second officer Lightoller while the ship's quintent play music to calm the passengers in first class. A different picture in steerage however as water rises and panic starts to set in. Before long the Titanic has her whole ass sticking in the air as jack and rose ready themselves to go under poised at the rear of the ship the very place they first met as the last remnants of titanic go under jack and rose manage to find each other in the freezing water and jack makes sure rose stays afloat on a sizable piece of wood in the sea of bodies the cries for help slowly die around them and jack assures rose that she won't die here not this night not like this Winning that ticket was the best thing that happened to Jack as it brought him to her. He makes her promise that she will survive and she will never let go. Their heart
0: will go on. It's got smoky in here again. <laughs> yeah. It's been raining on my face. God bless you, Patrick. God bless Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That
2: was quite moving, even for me.
0: So before we get into the nuts and bolts of the story, um, a little bit, a little bit of context. With regards to kind of the making of uh, and how this got made, James Cameron does not do things by halves. Um, if you look at his previous three picture run, um, so T2 Terminator Two is biggest box office return at the time was Terminator Two, True Lies first hundred million dollar budget, and then we come to Titanic, two hundred million dollar budget, which was unheard of. I mean, I think now the Hollywood studio system and the way that movies are made, this is obviously quite common, you know, to have big, big temple event pictures with huge budgets that need massive, massive amount of footfall to get the returns back. But this was a real risk in, in 96 for Paramount Pictures and 20th Century Fox. And I just wondered what you guys thought about knowing what we know now as we've grown up watching films do we just take it for granted how much of a kind of role of the diocese was for those two studios?
3: It's a tough one because by and large now these massive budgets tend to be justified by the 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 calculations they make are that it's, you know, recognized IP or it's in a cinematic universe or it's it's somehow got a kind of a certain amount of built-in audience appeal. Um the, the I guess the more fun thing about kind of 90s films and, and before that were that you did have to take a chance and you wouldn't find somebody with a much better track record at that point than James Cameron though, right? Like they weren't out, out, out with Steven Spielberg. There's not many other directors that you would be able to say putting this level of, of, of trust in. Um, and there were plenty of adaptations, uh, and films set on the Titanic but there hadn't been one for a very long time.
0: Not as a film, Devlin, not as a film. I'll just correct you. There was a miniseries with Catherine Zeta-Jones the year before, which I watched. It also had Sandy from the OC and Tim Curry, which is a splendid cast.
3: It was essentially like concurrent, right? Like, I mean, the, the, the production i don't believe these days the tv movie would would be the the you know the the sucker on the whole it would be there kind of like uh like a transmorphers you know like uh, uh it would have been commissioned to cash in on the success of but as far as i'm aware that wasn't the case i believe it, re- it really was just that they were they were making them both at, at the same time but um it didn't really you know god bless uh sandy cohen but I, it wasn't really going to make the same impact. Um, so a I diff, I, I don't know. It, in studio terms, I mean, this was a, a Cameron generated project, right? It wasn't that it was a studio yeah. project that he, he cooked this up because he was obsessive about, uh, he was getting way into deep sea diving and he became a bit obsessed with, um, with Titanic. So, uh, this, this was a fantastic for him he very flippantly says uh, at times in interviews that this was an excuse for him to be able to go down to the wreck in his little submersibles. Uh, obviously, he is uh, uh showing uh, uh his particularly arrogant type of self-deprecation there.
2: No, I was just going to ask if you'd seen the documentary Ghosts of the Abyss that he did as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Uh
0: Yeah, I, that I it not... kind of
2: reveals that ostentatious side of him. And that was one of the early problems I had with this because i love t2 and i love aliens and this felt to me like a guy who was bored like he'd done everything i didn't like true lies as much but galley you're right that that's kind of the peak in terms of budgets isn't it he's he's got a big toy box to work with and now i feel like he's bored and he's making this as an excuse to kind of explore one of his hobbies in a in a in more detail and i always felt like the love story etc came secondary to uh this one man's obsession with uh, as dev says deep sea diving and, and the type the wreckage of the titanic
3: i think that that's that seems very much to be the case right i i think that there's a level of um calculation uh in it uh you can and and i guess maybe that's at its crux, that's maybe a, a big problem for a, a lot of people in getting on board with the film. Whereas maybe other people can see that he clearly put so much um attention and love and he focused his extraordinary ability to to create things uh onto the like you say, the technical elements, the 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 historical accuracy, the um uh it, it was yeah, it's an obsessive quest. But the the selling point of the film is is a love story between two characters and perhaps it's not the most sophisticated.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. But I guess I'm referring as well to, you know, we've done some pretty big uh, big pictures and some of them not as successful as, as others. I remember we talked when we did Dances with Wolves about how the rest of the studios and mm. the, the, the sort of entertainment press were getting hints that this is going to be costing as big big bomb similar thing happened here didn't it they were getting leaks on the set about how james cameron's just he's gone he's lost it he's gone mental he's reshooting stuff for tens of millions of dollars but it's quite um you know it's sometimes we don't you know studios get a lot of flack a lot of the times but it's quite good to hear a story where the studios are like listen we're going to back our guy if he says says, yeah if he says he needs another 50 60 million to make the film What it, what it, what he pitched at, then we'll give it to him. But perhaps only Cameron could have made this film at that time. Yeah. That's... And been awarded
4: that through the success of, you know, Terminator 2 is huge and True Lives is big and this wasn't expected to do any well, but you know, he's proved himself right again and now he's doing four Avatar films, you know, and there's, there's reason to be entrusted with that because he's a trustworthy filmmaker
2: well i was surprised when i when i learned about uh how much money he lost i found a howard stern interview that was very revealing where howard mostly talks about the failed marriages but he once he gets a hook into that that james cameron made no money from titanic
4: he he even spent 150 of his own money to fund kathy Bass yeah he's out of pocket
2: film. yeah uh so I was coming at it originally from this angle that this guy is greedy and he's made a cynical film in order to make money. Not a cynical film, sorry, a cynical approach in that he's just picking and choosing from existing uh, love stories and existing epics, and he's putting them all together for this kind of uh, vanity project. But when I learned that he lost a lot of money on the Terminator films too, because Howard Stern goes, yeah, but you're a rich man from the Terminator films, he says, yeah, they made a lot of money, but Coralco went bankrupt. And I think Hemdale was the other one that uh, there was a a problem there. And he didn't get paid what he should have done for those films either. So why does a man like that make a film like this? And we've talked about his egotistical, ostentatious nature on some of the earlier films. Like he's teaching someone how to pull a a face hugger and how how to make it jump off a, a cabinet. And on this, this one, like that attention to detail is still there. And, uh, he, he's, it feels like he's using that, um, meticulous attention to detail in order to, to make this, this film. Is it a, is it a, um uh, an ego trip in a way? It feels like not a passion project,
4: money. doesn't it? Yeah. Because it, it, he, again, we, we've touched there. I don't know who said it. He seems like someone who's obsessed when he Mm. gets into something he's upset and this is an obsessive drive is what we see on 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 the big screen
0: i I read an interview from uh, i think it was one of the art department who was saying that he was going ballistic because the insignia on the plates for the white star line was not correct you never Mm -hmm. see it in the film right so that's the kind of that's the kind of attention to detail Mm. and i think matt you know not talking um you know talking for James Cameron but even if you went into any kind of project with that kind of baked in cynicism mm. i don't think you go through all the trials and tribulations and still end up with a product that's serviceable if you if you're just in it for
2: so you think his passion is authentic for this uh, story and this
0: I think I think I'll leave it to Bill Paxton as the avatar for James Cameron in the, one of the big groaner lines when he's like, "But chasing Titanic for three years <laughs> and, I yeah. never, and I never let it in." No, I'm saving
4: this for when I found the diamond.
1: I'm sorry. Three years. I have thought of nothing except Titanic. But I never got it.
4: I never let it in. That that only right. dawned on me last uh, last week when I was watching it, and I thought like to the point where I bet James Cameron has the same jumper as Bill Paxton and and yeah. you know, like Nolan dresses pe- pe- people in his own hmm. vision. It, it started to feel like that but I never thought it like that the first time I saw it up until I was considering it but there's a way that Bill Paxton says Titanic and I, <laughs> I, I, I he says it all the time yeah, Titanic. And it, that Hollywood drawl, and I just think that is, that is James Cameron's love for the project. Yep. But also, mm-hmm. he's a pioneer. A technical yep. pioneer, yep. a filmmaking pioneer. Uh, you know, there's something in Titanic they may have saw himself in, I don't know, Jacob, um, in Bruce Ismay, that is a pioneer to be better and strive for bigger and more accomplished things. And, um, there's all of that going on, I think, in here. But, from the technical side of thing, which we'll we'll look at further, you can see the reward of allowing. You know, his pitch may have been, "I want to make this and make it this way and explore these new. I can achieve it visually." He may have even, no, seeing how he works, like presented some examples to sell because he wants to explore these new technologies and the VFX that we see in this film and uh, all the craftsmanship that he brings to it. And that's what he did with Avatar and doing now with um, the motion capture stuff. And I, I can see totally why he, he'd be, um, the studios would allow him this film, Gally.
3: That was a big part of the pitch was um, that he was, you know, he was saying that they were going to get better resolution images and they were going to put actual deep sea dive footage of the of the wreckage yeah. in the in in the film the idea being yeah uh but his his main pitch was was romeo and juliet on the titanic yes. that's how he yeah. got the money
0: which is and as as, as simplistic as the depiction that we kind of see but interestingly i think he's just going back to the well like this is this is a rehash of terminator as far as i'm concerned carl reese comes back ill-fated romance over 48 mm-hmm. hours does it sound familiar? Mm, and James Billy Cameron's Zane the t- I Never made that. <laughs> Billy Zane is is uh, is is Arnie. No, in this, I thought. Yeah. Um, I hope
4: you enjoy your time together. I thought. Um, w- wouldn't that be yeah. uh, what's his name? Spice Lovejoy. Oh,
0: Spice Lovejoy. Yeah. Spice yeah. Of Lovejoy, yeah. yeah yeah actually yeah there you go actually he's even better for it (laughs) what's billy zane then billy zane's the guy who's like he didn't even pay (laughs) billy zane is uh skynet skynet
1: yeah (laughs)
3: um and yeah that's sacrificial um men who are there to further the uh emotional development of of women uh, a a crucial part in their life essentially uh offering uh the character of a woman a coming of age which when we talk cynicism there's there's cynicism and then there's really fucking intelligent cynicism and uh the idea of like covering your asses and making sure that this film is going to uh, appeal to the broadest number of people possible. He would have probably uh, taken it as granted that if he can create some very tense uh, uh carnage sequences of the ship going down and the, the kind of the brutality that happens in that, that he would probably... Snare enough, um, uh, curious male cinema goers. This is again, this is like nineties quadrant filmmaking thinking. This is studio thinking. Obviously this isn't how real people think, but that was the idea. I would have thought it's like, you've already got most of the men on board anyway, because you can say it's from the director of Aliens and Titan and, and Terminator 2. So in order to, uh, to broaden the appeal, you have to go for a, uh, not just a love story, but a love story whereby the, the woman is the, the lead character, the character who goes through the most changes. And Jack is essentially a manic pixie dream boy. He is the manic <laughs> d- pixie dream boy, isn't he? He is a construct. Absolutely. Well, let's
0: talk about that jumping off point then. The deep sea salvage stuff. What do we think? Cause I know offline Matt, we've had a bit of back and forth for a year now, which is why we're here about how you, how you start. And how you frame this story. And I think you you mentioned that you felt like the whole deep sea diving stuff. Could just be ostracized from the movie. And we can get straight into a historical depiction of the events.
2: Yeah I wondered about that as as a technique for shortening the film really. Because really if you take those bookends away. You've got a much more palatable um, film. And it doesn't necessarily need to be that long. But the, the more I looked into it. Um, I, I softened a bit. Like, as a general rule, I don't like films that are told in flashbacks. Uh, and I, I do believe there's a case for removing it entirely. But it, I think it's Jim's fixation on studying the real Titanic and its watery grave and sort of depicting that on screen with, if you take that away, you take away a lot of what Jim wants to really tackle with this one. Um, I, I don't like things that are told in flashback. I should, clarify because we know that rose is going to live now because she's the one telling the story so every time rose is in jeopardy her life but at the
4: beginning she claims you know it might not be her
0: yeah it might not be and also matt is not the great trick of the movie to essentially get you to forget and then recount. Like there's a section at the beginning where they show you it's 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 really clever because it works on multiple layers. But he t- he goes through the uh computer generated uh sort of rendition of events or mm-hmm. sequence of events mm-hmm. and then we see it but it's kind of like subconscious as we're watching it. And as we're watching mm-hmm. it subconsciously, this is me kind of eating all my sandwiches here. Rose and Jack are in every time there's a moment of peril they're in the specific area that we saw in the depiction two hours ago. I mean, I just thought that was pretty, pretty bloody
2: smart. Well, Siskel called that one a, a masterstroke, um, early critics corner. He he really loved that, that graphic and learning how the ship sank and what exactly happened. I, I think I didn't forget.
4: At the, t- at the time as well, I don't think there was schools of thoughts on the Titanic and how it sank. And th- there, there was depictions of it from eyewitness accounts that were kind of conflicting. And they originally thought the Titanic went up in one whole piece rather than snapping in half. And in in the book, A Night to Remember, I've got, there's a foreword by Julian Fellows, which is really interesting that he explores the reason why humankind are drawn to such disasters throughout history, like Pompeii or Titanic. And I really think when I was watching this, this is exactly what James Cameron's tapping into. And it's the audience's need for more and understanding and exploring these disasters because we're so drawn to them and we can't always explain why. And I think that this whole setup at the beginning was allowing that side of the audience to be pulled into the story and then telling it alongside the love story um, to give us strong characters that uh, are engaging and take us through the journey is how I see that the film was pieced together and and kind of constructed.
3: And to have the audience literally, you know, by the end of it, you've got that, uh, that wide shot of everyone staring at Rose in total silence. Yeah. It's It's story time. We're, we're audience, uh, audience avatars. And it just, um, it just kind of locates us. I think um, historical fiction can have a somewhat distancing effect because you have unusual uh, rhythms of dialogue. You have uh, unfamiliar costuming and possibly that by having modern day wraparounds, it softens the blow a little. And I think it's just another little mark on it. That's just going to make it more relatable. Mm. Accessible. I would have said for a modern audience, some people
2: are going to jump ship without yeah. without yeah. that you know and also like before we move off the, the idea of knowing that it's going to sink um like that was something people talked about at the time and they were really amazed that he was going to make this film that we know how it's going to end and i always found that a very inane yeah kind of idea that that people wouldn't see a film to watch the journey because they know how it's going to end it's all it's about the characters and the journey rather than knowing that it's going to sink and, uh, you mentioned that the body's falling as well, uh, when it breaks in two, like even when I was 15, I was kind of drawn to, to that aspect of it more than the love story, which sort of, uh, probably
3: says too much about me, but which, which is your favorite? Is it the lad smacking off the propeller and pinwheeling?
2: Whatever the loudest clank is, that's my, is my favorite one.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think, I think Patrick's right though, that the, there's a deference and there's a kind of public mood around titanic i remember that like very very like vivid memories of going through the historical events of titanic because obviously it's a huge universal story of hubris uh facing and, and nature kind of dismantling human progress in a way you're kind of hungry for more information aren't you i think i mentioned on a previous podcast
4: that um when I first got in Carter it was 96 or something I don't even really remember that program, but they had oh, the, yeah. they had the video of the JFK assassination on it and I must have watched that a hundred times in a day just hungry for oh, what happened and trying to piece it together and understand it and I think like Devlin said, we the audience and James Cameron constructing an audience literally from his film for for what it is is a really smart
0: um uh tap into the psych of, of everyone. I also think Devlin mentioned about the 90s quadrant filmmaking. I wonder if, if he'd watched Edward Scissorhands, cause it reminded me of that, you know, how that's bookended with Winona, old Winona telling mm. a story.
2: Well, this was almost Winona too. He almost cast her.
0: it. We, oh, yeah. Right. Well, oh, there you go. I mean, I didn't know that, but that's interesting. Cause I, when I, when I rewatched it again, um, there are, there are, I'm quite an easy. I'm an easy lay for a cry, um, listeners. I thought you were so an I easy cry. lay. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm that. Um, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> Daniel, if you're listening, <laughs> my heart will go on. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you
1: know,
0: I can, I'm so easily manipulated. Um, so there is a part of me that, that knows that I'm, I'm very, very biased when it comes down to this. This works on me. It's affecting, um, and I get totally drawn in and just like hacker. Hackslack and Gut Rot uh, that definitely went to see uh, the movie and <laughs> about Bowser and all the rest of them. I also, I tear up every time. And even though I know, I know what's going to, I know what's going to happen. I've seen the film multiple times now. At what point did you cry? Is it the quartet galley and then the Irish tale? To be honest with you, a lot of it is attributed to James Horner and that bloody fantastic score that just pierces Straight into my heart, but I, I'm going to say it's the moment when, and this, this makes you sound like a teenage girl, doesn't it? It's the moment when she says, uh, I'll never let go and lets him go and we see Leo sinking. Uh, I, I, again, I've been done by the constructs. <laughs> He's literally worked on me, but there's lots of moments that rewatching it now, there's a bit where Trudy, who's like the servant for Rose's mum, and I'm now, my heart like bleeds every time I see the bit where she says, Oh, go back to the room and put the heaters on and I'd like a cup of tea. I'm like, well, she's dead. And then you see Trudy, uh, she's holding on and she falls into the water at one point when the ship's, mm. there's little moments sprinkled throughout like that.
2: Old couple in the bed.
0: This is where I, my, I really wanted to tap into
4: my hat off to James Cameron as well, because I, I think I spoke to you offline when we announced we were going to do Titanic. And I said, if you've got time, watch or read a night to remember. Because it's this extraordinary book based on eyewitness accounts that was in 1955, I think, in the film 1958. And people like those in the, the old couple in the bed, that they're, they're based on real people from the book that are, um, blooming dales or something, owners. And the, the, when the kids are kicking the ice on the deck, that's from eyewitness accounts in the book and the cook on the, on the rear end as well. That's. All all based on fact and those little details dotted throughout Titanic are quite, I, I think are incredible because, you know, Cameron's got this love story as a central conceit throughout, but doesn't ignore the fact and wants it quite, it, uh, you know, I think he's done his research and night's like to remember is clearly woven throughout the whole
3: film as well, which I, I really admire and there are like whole lines of dialogue and in some cases really really close visual references. Yeah, yeah with the the moment um, with uh, Mr.
4: Andrews on in the um smoking room looking at the clock that's based on the last the, the last person who saw him or people I say like he was throwing moment. chairs out to the water,
0: captain mm-hmm. going locking himself in the brig. That's this is all true. The masterstroke is the way that Cameron's able to kind of move between the micro love story between Jack and Rose and their survival. And then the macro of all these other stories Mm -hmm. and all these other little moments. And somehow I'm emotionally engaged in all of it. And I think that all comes from starting it as the deep, the deep sea Mm. salvage. I think seeing the wreckage right at the beginning brings it. It's the little artifacts as well. And just the reality. So that's the importance, I think, of the deep sea salvage stuff. I think he knows as well throughout the movie that he doesn't really need it. Which is why we don't really cut back to it a great deal.
2: Does it ever cut back or is it just a clean bookend?
0: It's the fireplace and then there's the front of the ship when they're...
4: Uh, they're oh no, it's
2: my favourite moment where um they're listening intently. It cuts, it cuts back and there's a crowd, there's, there's Bill Paxton.
4: The most erotic moment of my life.
2: Most erotic moment and then it cuts to them. That's the best cut and, and it's done in a, a line of dialogue and an edit. And that's old Jim. That's, that's what Jim can do.
0: But it's an easy way to explain how Jack is a manic pixie dream boy, because logically, I'm thinking he must stink. Like genuinely, he must smell horrendously. Um, yet, yeah, in so general, the, the idea, as a man, just, just, just in general, he's a third class, uh, you know, obviously, I know that Kathy Bates is obviously maybe giving him a shower and a new change of clothes, but before then, when he meets Rose, he's going to stink. And, and that, you know, yeah. I'm thinking, Kevin Costner when he's rubbing shit. <laughs> he's going to smell that bad. <laughs> but, but So, but you know, his hair, the way he acts, the fact that he's so knowledgeable about the world.
2: Are these rose tinted glasses, Gally, when she's.
0: You're woman. very good, mm-hmm. Matt, indeed. But you know what? In the moment, the fact that you've uh, framed it <laughs> as this kind of fairy tale and it's from her perspective, mm-hmm. that means that I can, I can weigh off that criticism as it's her story. It's her memories of Jack what do you think devs because obviously you 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 said that you enjoy the movie but you were worried it might not hold up to rewind criticism mm-hmm. <laughs> is jack is jack and fabrizio fabrizio in particular um somewhat broad in their construct? <laughs> yeah
3: uh <laughs> Mario. A dangerous ground when i'm getting into fabrizio territory <laughs> um i i did i watched this with uh with chiara during the week and um yeah, Fabrizio warranted nothing more than a derisive laugh. <laughs> I think the, the broadness of it is in, in that terrible, uh, that terrible phrase, uh, a feature, not a bug. The broadness is there because you need to make sure that this is relatively universal and Cameron knows well enough to know that, um, Leonardo DiCaprio at that point is just like, it seems inevitable now, but at the time it probably wouldn't have been, but probably seeing him on set and seeing how like the the fever pitch that he would very soon generate in the kind of in the media was that that was a guy whose charisma would be enough to carry off the dodgier elements of his character
4: again, it grounds it in the the reality of the time the micro and the macro galley talked about, which is um steerage and first class and whatever and and mm. these guys don't have money and th- this ship represented like dreams and going to america yeah. and starting a new world and you start to think of everyone that died on it that was tr- starting a business or, or or you know moving their lives or yeah. seeing loved ones yeah. and there's i wondered if cameron was made sure that we got characters like that as well to uh as a little commentary against like corporation
3: and cameron's depiction of the irish <laughs> <laughs> We like a pint. (laughs) Just, I just like to imagine that that like rolling jig and endless pints of flat-looking Guinness is just happening twenty-four hours a day.
0: (laughs) It's super broad brush, and I'm just going to bring you to uh, again one of those old studio exec books. I can't remember who it was, but I read specificity is the death nail of blockbuster filmmaking. And that is the blueprint that Cameron's mm. working towards. It's like we, who are our only representatives of the upper class. Most of them are negative, and then we have a yep. few, and they're all in tiers as well. So the top tier, which is like Cal and Rose's mom, the Duchess, the better half. Huh? Uh, that Mister Mister, but uh, there's only one who kind of comes off well, who's like the richest man on the ship, and he's the one who. I will have a brandy though. It you know, we'll go down as gentlemen. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. that 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 idea. They basically, the upper class are kind of the villains in this, and the third class. I mean, we know from Stoke on Trent, from Darlington, from Leicester, from you know. We know that sometimes third class people can also be dickheads, but not on the Titanic.
4: And is that why we get Molly Brown in here as well? Is that what the importance of her character?
3: And and Molly Brown is uh, she is somebody who has ascended class, so she hasn't forgotten where she comes from.
0: But I guess the other importance of doing that, though, as well, is that we need to we need to kind of get on Rose's side because and the we'll talk about the dialogue, but the dialogue does make mention of it because rose says i know what you're thinking poor little rich girl what what kind of problems but in order to make that feel like we can empathize with her position not just as a woman but also as a woman of of massive entitlement and privilege
3: is that everyone around her is a monster quite careful to construct the idea that when she says that she's trapped now this does not justify the line it was a slave ship and i was on my way to america in chains jesus jim
4: i I thought about that but i also think it's like a It tells us that she's kind of misguided at the time as well.
3: The, the construction of the gilded cage is very careful. That's what I mean about the calculation of the screenplay not being to its detriment, which is that she is a woman of means, but they make sure to, to make mention of the fact that the means are essentially disappeared. There's no explanation as to why the husband died and left them with, you know, no money, but that's the idea. It's, it's, um, these little, these little kind of empathy intensifiers all the way through make sure that nobody uh, uh, can kind of dismiss her too much because she is essentially trapped in the what will potentially be a loveless marriage with a guy who um there they give everyone their little moments. The mum gets the great scene with the uh, with the corset. She's really good. Yeah, she's great. She's great. She's she's fantastic. It, it's a shame that that doesn't just get carried over a little more because she. Kind of never really ever again displays anything other than just kind of upper class disdain.
2: Could we do, uh, our historical accuracy? I was pointed towards the, you know, the books and the documentaries by Patrick, but I, I chose not to because I didn't want to cloud it. I've sort of got this thing that's a bit similar to something Dev talked about on one of the war movies we did. Maybe it was Full Metal Jacket, uh, where uh, it's, it's kind of a noble, th- thing um and it's like it is a massive tragedy and a massive loss of human life but when you're making a film like like this is is it not a little bit a little bit ghoulish like as you said dev in the sense that it makes it almost unimpeachable because of the real life tragedy of it and i don't want to add weight to a film that i had issues with because it's it's accurately depicting you know historic truth uh and i understand that he's taken real life accounts and real things that happened but that doesn't change that that you know the performances aren't aren't great and uh i just uh, there was a lot about it that i didn't like and i didn't want to be sort of packed into having to have to like it because of the nobility of it if that makes any sense
3: yeah, no, I, I I understand. Yeah, I've I've had a similar thing. Is war movies are, are the one that really gets me, where you know people will will, uh, will will kind of tell you that you are dishonoring the memory of some event if you don't enjoy a media based on it. Whereas I kind of think like isn't the people who made the media based on it. It should be entirely incumbent upon them to be as reverent as possible. It shouldn't be for me as an audience member to have to uh, bridge a gap to something that I think isn't particularly good. Just because it's about something very important, you know, and that goes for any subject. I don't think any subject should ever be so serious that you are, uh, um, uh, kind of expected to kind of honor it. So, um, Titanic, I guess, is a slightly different one than a, than a war movie, I guess, just because it was a tragedy that happened to a specific group of people. Whereas I guess a war movie touches on kind of the lives of essentially everyone in every country that it's that it's attached to. So
2: if if you think about the opening of Saving Private Ryan, one of the greatest you know action war sequences ever, that was the one I picked because it's mm. it's action orientated and thrilling and exciting. Yeah. But when in this film it feels very different. Uh, It it doesn't feel like it's aiming for the same thing. There's I don't get the nobility and I don't get the I mean, you know, D-Day and The Sinking of the Titanic are two different things entirely. But
3: I understand it, what you mean. It's, it's, it's death as entertainment, but mm-hmm. also that in a way that is supposed to be kind of honoring those that are dead, but how can you honor somebody and you, if you're watching them smack into a metal pole at Precisely, high speed?
0: yeah. But in a strange way, Matt, the way that the movie is constructed, that final sequence where we go into the Titanic again, Rose has passed, That is almost a celebration. So there is a strange dichotomy between what you're talking about, which is honoring those that have passed. And I think the way that Cameron's gone about it is, well, I'm going to make a movie where at the end, where we would normally be sad that Jack died and all these thousands of people died. We're going to celebrate that moment of them coming together in the afterlife and, and as an audience member, we all walk out with a good feeling, not a sad feeling. It's, again, you could argue it's quite cynical, but I would say it, it's smart.
2: My original feelings about it being a, a greedy film, like he was, uh, it was a big bucks money spinner, which I have changed my, my views on after that interview with Cameron, but it felt like they were exhuming the victims, uh, you know, the shot, harrowing shots of a frozen mum and a baby. And all all these things. And then, uh, you know, at the same time, it's in this hackneyed Romeo and Juliet ripoff love story. There was a clash there for me.
0: How much responsibility does a filmmaker have when they're depicting real-life characters for dramatic effect? So if you change something, do you fundamentally change the way that that person historically is perceived? And I do wonder... If that did happen, because obviously some of it can't be verified. I, so I read uh, Patrick, you said uh, read a night to remember and lots of it is contradictory, yeah, uh, yeah. Contradic- contradicting statements. You know, so a lot of people say an officer shot themselves, committed suicide, but no one quite fully commits to it being Murdoch. But then there are other accounts that say, no, it was um, William Murdoch. I guess I wouldn't uh, for you guys, is there a responsibility for for a filmmaker? To, to make sure that you, you make it accurate. I suppose the kind
4: of responsibility of the filmmaker and depiction as well, and using this to, to the filmmaker's advantage for entertainment. There is a lot in the film that's woven that sheds light on and characters owning up to mistakes and you know, like Ismay was heavily criticized for taking that boat at the end, um, then he, he felt he was really having to criticize and he felt guilty all his life. And, um, uh, people like John Jacob Astor in there and Mr. Andrews admitting the design fault of it. You know, it was only designed really to hit head on. And if you hit the iceberg head on, it would have been fine I- in essence. And, and White Star Line, you know, while they tried to, uh, make their quarters livable for everyone, they, they came under quite a lot of heavy criticism after um because of the lifeboat situation uh, lifeboat situation and everything sorry and then coupled with you know you're saying why are we showing uh, a woman with a frozen baby what's the purpose of it the, the responsibility is, what what's the purpose of depicting historical people as well if you're not completely accurate um like lightoller who who i think wasn't at all and you wanted you were saying, Gully, you always imagine Murdoch now as the man who shot himself, but it, it may or may not have been.
0: Exactly. Well, I mean, the danger is, you know, I live in Glasgow. I, I don't, I don't suggest my neighbours are like this, but there are certain folk, certain demographics who have watched Braveheart and believe that that is indeed how it went down. And I'm not. You know, and that there is a danger, you know, we've said it many, many times before in different uh, contexts that media does matter. So either you what what I wish, because I feel really conflicted with this because it properly skews, you know, a lineage. Forever, because for many, many people in the world, you know, for your Will Smiths, fine. You'll be remembered as Will Smith, that guy who actually. <laughs> and we're back. So, uh, we're back. But most of us, most of us will live our lives, leave this mortal, uh, mortal ground and, you know, outside of our families may, may not have anything terribly to shout about, maybe a bench. Murdoch and his family, that's what they're going to be remembered for, you know, for, for generations. And that does.
3: You know that does matter. Well, they'd they'd had was it? Um, I don't know if they had a, a a memorial to him, or maybe they had a they had like a little to 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 Murdoch William Mcmaster Murdoch. There was either a foundation or something that they did to honor his his memory. And then when this film comes out, you know he's he's shown as a guy who murders somebody inadvertently or not, and then kills himself immediately out of shame, and that's. That's a heavy one. There is a a documentary that I watched on Nat Geo um, speaking to James Cameron's obsessive uh, uh, focus and attention on Titanic. He has gone back many, many more times in in the years since making the film. And there are two separate documentaries that he put together on Nat Geo. One is an hour and one is an hour and a half. And both times it's essentially the same thing. He constructs a panel of um, maritime experts and uh, various engineers and smart men and they sit in a big boardroom and they try and come up with an even more accurate timeline for every single thing that happened on the titanic to Mm. the ship itself essentially this is what they do uh you know the 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 computer visualization at the start that is a real visualization that they made and that's why they're showing it and they keep they they have for now 20, 25 years, obsessively reassessed it. Mm -hmm. And you can see, even to this day, that James Cameron is very belligerent and very, very forthright in his ideas about what did and didn't happen. He will often talk over people who are far more qualified than him. But when he expresses regrets about what he made in the film, it's almost always oh, it wasn't a 30-degree angle. It was actually more like a 19-degree angle. And then there is one single sentence in one of the two documentaries where he says, also, you know, maybe some of the real-life, you know, named characters, maybe I shouldn't. And it's all such mealy mouth bullshit. Maybe (laughs) I shouldn't have. And essentially, I mean, there was a lawsuit about this. But it's Mm, like he's learned his lesson, but only in the sense that he got caught And I think he sort of feels like he should still be allowed to do what he wants to do, and he's focusing on the
0: wrong things, right? I mean, because
3: if if you're going to be a
4: true artist, then you make up characters to fit your story. Exactly, Mm -hmm. that's
3: the bit
0: where I was like, you know, you you can you can resolve this by literally just changing it to
3: Murbach or something, (laughs) and and then you're done. There's there's a difference between like something like the, the the forthcoming Andrew Dominic movie that he's making about Marilyn Monroe, whereby he's using Marilyn Monroe as a cultural icon and he's playing around with the iconography of an extremely famous woman, whereas this William McMaster of Murdoch, like you were saying, Gally, is just some guy who's doing a job and now the only thing that the wider world knows about him is that he shot himself after killing an Irish guy. It's, yeah, and, and, of... and also maybe maybe thought about taking a bribe from a
0: fict a fictional character yeah, that some people yeah. watching the movie will be like, "Oh, Billy Zane was great." That Cal, he did put his. It's made up. It's it's fictional. Yeah,
2: there's a conflict here because if you look at the the bookend and the Bill Paxton stuff, that is fiction. That is hmm. concocted. And it's okay to get the insignias right on the cups and everything. But when you're making mistakes with historical things and claiming that it's entirely accurate, which is one of the selling points of this film, that he's nailing all of these things and he's mixing it up with, with fiction. So it's a, it's a bit of a conflict for me.
4: Yeah. And you've got, you've got Jack and Rose with the fictional characters as the central fold anyway. So why can't you just make more characters? You know, and and honor, honor your Murdochs and Lightollars.
0: I think Matt's hit the nail on the head though, um, because one of the selling points is based on the true story. And one of the things that my mum, but you said it yourself. You said it yourself. This is under her storytelling yes but that's us watching the movie several times and not sure. to suggest yeah, yeah, that we yeah. are in some way more informed we just watch more films i think we discuss them in a little bit more depth no. but if i'm oh, watching a movie, yeah you. if i'm watching a movie once and it's got the disclaimer at the beginning you know the cohen brothers so magically yeah. did it in fargo and then caused a little bit of uh yeah, yeah. you know if you do that most people will just take it as read because they're not going to go down into the weeds and start um you know doing all the you know retrospectives and reading all the surrounding
3: materials there's probably a difference as well in 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 the era this is all happening in the twentieth century. There are people whose descendants would still only be perhaps their grandchildren mm. or great grandchildren if like we were talking about the example of william Wallace where if you go to um uh Sterling Castle and you go to the gift shop and you buy a key ring, it is a shit drawing of Mel Gibson <laughs> <laughs> with a <the> blue <laughs> face and try. And yep.
0: The guy the guy in the shop's like, yeah, he was my uh my, my late great uncle.
3: Yeah. So you're talking, you know, you you've got four, five, six hundred years. You can make a film about somebody from, you know, from the distant past because it's just, you know, that the history is stretched so thin, whereas here you are talking about people who, you know, they wouldn't be in living memory anymore, but they wouldn't be far off And, um, also when you say that, you know, we can get, uh, we can have a get out with it being Rose's, um, perception of events, but stuff like the, the Murdoch Tommy murder, she's not there. There's a reason we cut away to things that aren't happening under
4: her, her vision. And, and yeah, I, I I agree. Uh, Matt, you said you don't like, uh, flashback on the, uh, sometimes. Generally speaking. Do you mind the narration in this film? Like from Old
2: Rose? I, I didn't find it, um, objectionable. In in fact, I'm, I'm trying to not be so hardline with voiceover and narration because the more I think about it, some of my favorite films have it. We talked about, uh. Well, like Galaxy. Jesse James. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> there are certain films that, uh, use it in quite a poetic, abstract way and then other J- films Jesse that James. use it. No, no, they used it for exposition in Jesse James. They were, they were saying, you know, someone was wearing pink gloves or something. I can't remember what, they, what it was. Dances with Wolves. Uh, I, I have to rewatch Dances with Wolves, but something like Taxi Driver, for example, I've been yeah, watching yeah. endlessly. And there's something about that. That, that voiceover doesn't, um, you know, en- enhance the plot. It's a no, it's
0: informing st- you about the character. Yeah. Character
2: study stuff. So, and and then there's the, the noir stuff, the hard boiled stuff that I don't mind. There's apocalypse now, and you know there are exceptions. I, I don't believe there's like a hard line rule for it.
0: There's a couple of egregious voiceovers in this, though. I think um I, I've been waxing uh, the the decks of the Titanic now for about an hour. <laughs> I will say this: mopping them for all of Cameron's precision, his meticulous nature when it comes down to the the craftsmanship the art direction the costuming the insignias on the plates that you can't bloody see <laughs> the 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 structural masterpiece that yeah. is the way that the movie oscillates between macro and micro the dialogue is bad <laughs> it's really bad yeah. i'm thinking about the one scene where i really did kind of go oh this is bad it's when leo it, they basically got to do a whole Relationship arc in about four scenes. So we go from Leo and Kate having a great time then they get caught Will Smith slap on Kate from Cal and then um, Leo's like listen I just want to make sure you're okay and she rejects him and that's like the moment where like, will they won't they? In that gym some of the dialogue is dreadful
1: Jack I'm engaged I'm marrying Cal I love Cal Rose, you're no picnic, all right? You're a spoiled little brat, even. But under that, you're the most amazingly astounding, wonderful girl, woman that I've ever known. And... Jack, I... I Let me try and get this out. You're you're a mate. I'm not an idiot. I know how the world works. I've got ten bucks in my pocket. I have nothing to offer you, and I know that. I understand, but I'm too involved now. You jump, I jump, remember? I can't turn away without knowing you'll be all right. That's all that I want. Well, I'm fine. I'll be fine. Really. Really? I don't think so. They've got you trapped, Rose. And you're gonna die if you don't break free. Maybe not right away because you're strong, but sooner or later, that fire that I love about you, Rose, that fire is gonna burn out.
3: Well, he he does a lot of um, kind of you're a you're a no picnic. You're a spoiled brat, and he starts unloading on her. <laughs>
1: it's like, my God,
0: you've known her for a day, but then.
4: But they, I, there are some scenes that do work dialogue-wise, and the whole setup of the the class divide and everything in there to, to strengthen their motives. When he's invited to dinner, I quite like that scene um, as favourite scenes go.
2: Hardly any rats.
4: There, there's moments that make me laugh though, little one-liners like when she's looking at her artwork saying, "What's the artist's name? Something Picasso?"
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> like, oh come on, he's a finger painter. Yeah. There's some very heavy-handed. The older, uh, are you familiar with the writings of Sigmund Freud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is he a passenger, come on, that's a good line, Devlin. Yeah, Was he a passenger, yeah. Freud.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: this is this is where it's like. This is all he knows. Cameron knows Cameron knows exactly how It's gags
0: in it. It's little gags <laughs> that everyone who's ever read nothing will get. They'll just like, "Oh, been a Sigmund Freud."
3: <laughs> I believe it's pronounced Freud.
0: <laughs> with the dialogue, you said Kate does well with it, Gally? You're happy with her performance? I think she's the MVP of this movie because she's the also she's the character with the arc. And actually, if you think about the way that the character from where she starts to where she ends up. Kate Winslet has got a lot of heavy lifting to do. Yeah. And I think she does it phenomenally because some of that dialogue is really hamneal. Lapp- oh, it's proper ham neal. When she's doing like and spit like a man, I'm like, wait a minute, what or what movie are we in? And and but Kate does it with you know, she's she's got that regal elegance and she's a real star. And obviously Leo DiCaprio becomes a huge Phenomenal star, but I, I love the fact that Kate Winslet still is doing phenomenal work. I'm going to champion something slightly out, uh, tangential. I've just finished Mayor of East Town, uh, HBO miniseries, uh, which she stars and it's phenomenal. I will recommend that to the highest hilt. Just finished it last night. Um, and she's great in it. And I think she's great in this. And again, going back to that arc, you know, she's quiet, almost, um, you know, there's a lot of like just her sitting, in, internalizing and then when we see a character really come out obviously it's all done in the backdrop of an irish stereotype uh, i mean it's basically gone to temple bar um but she you know you see that energy and i guess that's what makes me buy into when leo's like that fire that i love about you it's like yeah, yeah I, I've, I've also seen it on screen um but it's still a bit clunky what i mean what do you guys think of kate and leo's performances i think leo's the best thing in it. Um, really? Yeah, Leo's the best thing in it. I
2: I don't I don't like Rose I don't like Rose as a character and I don't like Kate winslet as a as a you know a love interest either. She's too theatrical here. She's a theatre lovey. She's a she's too over over the top. I think her performance is too too grand. I and I don't think Cameron knows how to corral someone who is has a British heritage. And I think it's all just too it's two fucking two, as Paul Thomas Anderson would say. <laughs>
0: Do you not think it's the dialogue though, Matt? Like, again, some of the stuff- Well, he's, he's responsible for that to too. Him. It's Jim, isn't it? No, no, but I'm just saying, you're, you're putting- Oh, you're that right, on I'm, I'm
2: a bit down on, on... Hey. Yeah.
0: Hey, I'm, I'm saying- She's that's doing her Jim's best, story.
2: perhaps. Uh, I mean, there is, uh, she's in a film called Little Children that I, I really liked her in. Um and I, I'm, I'm still a bit heartbroken by, um Eternal Sunshine. I think she's good in that, but that's kind of damaged me. Uh, I don't really like like the character either, but um, it, Ro- the character of Rose is a big problem for me because I I don't find her likable at all.
4: Do you not get swept up in their romance then? The, 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 one of the big selling points, you said like when you went to cinema, all the girls are loving on Leo. I remember everyone loving on the love story. And like really loving the, the story and the moment when she comes back off the lifeboat and back on, you're so stupid, Rose, you're so stupid. Like pe- people love that scene and yeah, but people love that scene and it, it, they get really emotionally involved in it. And I kind of do too. I buy into the relationship and as a, as a love story, as a, I've put this Romeo and Juliet thing aside really because this film feels original uh, in its love story. I think it's an original blockbuster, which is great, but I, d- I do get swept up in it. And I believe if, if you think of, uh, like love story films, what's your, what's your top ones and w- which ones do you really get entertained with and swept up by? And this is done a love story amidst all this action and disaster and everything is not much like it really. And I, I do, I get into it. The, the also stupid rose galley. I like that scene very much and they, they work for me.
2: But how about the character of Rose? Is there any issues with the character of Rose?
4: I, I couldn't even remember the thing Gully was on about after the slap, to be honest. And I don't remember having an issue or not believing her motive or anything. I, I, the, the narration helps and I buy into her and I buy into the relationship. And Rose never bothered me, Matt. No, I don't. She doesn't annoy me or anything. Apart from he could have got on the wood with her. Why didn't she fucking bring him up?
0: Oh,
3: classic. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I'd yeah. drop that in there and
0: get that out of the way.
3: I, I think that there's, there's a lot of the film that, um, if you were reacting to it in the moment, like you had one of the little uh, red light, green light things from The Simpsons, when you're uh, one kid really loved the muscle guy, um, <laughs> <laughs> you would be reacting to certain things in the moment, kind of uh, irritated. The scenes between the two of them in the early going, I don't think, are as successful. The we walked about a mile around this ship. This kind of stuff is clunky. Um, it's sold by the performance being very committed. But I think once you get through the whole sweep of the film, by the time you get to the end of it, I think it, it retrograde or retroactively erases a lot of the bits that don't really work because there aren't many films that can justify being the kind of length this one is. And I think this one does. I think despite the, the duration of it, I think it's the the old adage of a film is only as long as it needs to be. I don't feel that there's a drag in this one because I think that the patience that they display in the first half, Means that when you get the big, big moments that need to be sold, like the, you're so stupid, Rose, it plays for me as well. It's so well constructed. You've got the, the amazing timing of the firework going off, which is like right behind him. Or, or the Lee moment Waker, that made me cry he's...
0: there, Devlin, the music yeah. comes in. It starts to go in slow mo. We see people shouting firework overhead of Leo, yeah. tear, <laughs> tear from my right eye.
3: It's that, that's where you've got like, um, no matter how cynical a filmmaker may be, I don't think a truly cynical filmmaker could be that successful at at cynically manipulating tears and milking tears out of people. I don't think, Milk. that unless I've got the balls, can you look me? <laughs> I don't think you could do it. I don't think you could do it if you didn't really feel it. So I think that like that's where there is a. a it might just be that James Cor- James Cameron is corny as fuck. I remember the interviews for Terminator Two. One of his pitches to Arnold was. I'm going to make
0: you the good guy and I'm going to make the audience cry at the end.
2: He, he softened in age with age. He, there's a point where you can draw a line, I think, cause he wouldn't have done that in Terminator when someone's getting their heart no. pulled out by a robot, <laughs> you know, and then you've got, <laughs> um, aliens, which is just beautifully balanced. There's n- not even a single line in there that's, uh, that's, I need a vacation. You know, there's none of that bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at some point he gets a little bit older and he starts to soften. And this is the culmination of, of that, I think.
0: And I think we've already discussed it earlier about the fact that, you know, this isn't IP, but there is a the universal knowledge or pre-knowledge audiences have. Everyone's heard of Titanic across the world. It's not just like a Western thing. You know, you talked about, uh, Patrick, about the dialogue being accessible. It's accessible to a global audience. This isn't people talking... It reminds me a little bit of the successes that we're currently seeing in period dramas, you know, like Downton Abbey, Bridgerton, those types of – it's now become fantasy for many. Well, this is more Bridgerton
4: than Downton Abbey.
0: This is absolutely Mm -hmm. more Bridgerton because it harkens back to a kind of perception of what we think times were like back then when actually fucking miserable but in this movie the third class everyone is having a rollicking good time because they're, they're all pissed up. yeah <laughs> they're all they're all pissed up. like having a kaylee downstairs like you say devlin are they doing that every day every minute of the day is that like one of those like you know 24 7 nightclubs like come in <laughs> <You> know, it, <laughs> open all hours because you know they are they are doing that through their own uh you know their own free will they're all it's like there's a community there And there's also all these like extras that you see peppered throughout the whole movie that don't even have lines of dialogue that then you, they come back and it's on, on those rewatches that you see that. Like I remember Mm -hmm. always thinking the first time I saw it, like what was that awkward moment between uh, Rose and the woman at the top? we saw her yeah we saw her earlier they were dancing and partying and so little things like that
2: do you think that the best way for her to ingratiate herself is to stand on her tiptoes could we not have done better
0: there
3: She's uh under. She's undercutting expectations of the uh that the rich folk, the well-educated rich folk, don't have certain skills that they could have, and you know, so she can't do an arm wrestle, but she can stand on tiptoes because she's been doing dance classes since she was. I think it was their reaction. They 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 were amazed by it.
2: That's true. She's
4: she's releasing the shackles that she said of the slave ship. Very true. Very true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about
2: DiCaprio? Because I, I think his performance is stronger than hers. Um,
4: I don't know. I don't know. But I don't... I Personally, I don't think anyone's stronger than... Uh, between them, I, I, I think there's an equilibrium. Um, I can see why he's a poster boy at this time. And like, it's a really um, attractive ap- performance by him. I think he play, um, plays Jack as a really yeah attractive uh, character.
0: It's, it's earnest, isn't it? And I, all I would say, though, Matt, is I don't think as an actor he as far as his assignments he nails it but um he he doesn't really have to have an arc he literally is just there to kind of keep rose you know the, there's a back and forth they keep saving each other's lives don't they i mean that's one of the things that goes through is like he saves her first and she saves him with when he's mm. um uh, Got the handcuffs Shack, and back shackled. and forth. It goes it literally shackled. Yeah, well, yeah, this slave ship metaphor is really uh, <laughs> kicking it out. Huh? There's a back and forth, but I think Leo does an, uh, a fine job, but I think Kate's got the, the harder, the harder acting gig. Out of the two of them, yeah. I, I was
2: a bit harsh with him on Inception because that, that's kind of like a mid ground sprout face, right for him. Yeah, sprout face. Well, that was that was a Leon Herring quote. That's Leon Herring. Yeah. I um I really love um Gilbert Grape. That's still one of my favorite things he ever did, and I think he's he's great in this era, Romeo and Juliet, which was a great shorthand into this because he's doing the Romeo and Juliet motif, and he's literally got Romeo as his as his lead at this point. It's the year before, and then th- there's this kind of not wilderness years like Gally, you mentioned catch me if you can and gangs of new york which came really soon after
0: too soon for him this i one. think that five,
4: five years after this was gangs 2002? pretty quickly yeah
0: 2002 yeah but it was too too soon for him as far as the role required him to probably have another 5 years to of look yeah i, I really i it's great in catch me if you can but yeah. um, i yeah. think
4: aviator is where he really matured yes agreed
2: and then recently he's you know become he's channeling jack and he's becoming uh, you know, the, the new Nicholson, or he's trying to, or he's trying to convince everyone.
0: Yeah, not just with the, uh, with the age of the girls he likes to date.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is is my favourite thing he's done. So are you going to
0: host the
4: Oscars next galley, yeah. or are you just practicing your jokes? For, I,
2: I, I also like that he uses his original teeth in this film. Um so uh, there's, there's no veneers going on. And he's got the haircut, and he's got the rollies, and he looks looks great. And this was almost Boogie Nights um, DiCaprio too. There's, yeah. there was a weird crossover here where, uh, I don't, I don't think Wahlberg was ever up for Titanic, but. What? What the hell? Iceberg. <laughs> it worked out best for everyone, I think, that the way things worked out. Do you
0: think, uh, do you think James Cameron would have stopped him from doing that scene like, it's my cock, I wanna fuck, let's go. Rock, <laughs> uh, jazz, classical. I, I am gonna host the Oscars, i I'm gonna give the award now without consulting anyone. Ham award, Billy Zane. Yeah. 100%. There's no one else who's going to get it.
2: No, no nominees other than him.
0: No, no, well, uh, maybe, uh, maybe the, 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 the priest at the end. He does go a little bit ham d- no, yeah. may, Maybe the, um, the, the guy down in by the furnaces.
3: Hey, what you do down here? Yeah. You, you got
4: his <laughs> stages. <laughs>
3: it's the um it's it's the shoot though like the uh the going nuts stealing david warner's gun david warner also deserves a bit of a nut. he's not ham neil he's like i don't know like stealth hero of the film he's uh he's like he's, he's a real anchor like david warner's ace um <laughs> but, uh, stealing his gun and then going on a murderous rampage at a point when the ship is fucking sinking anyway is like again the film has had to earn That level of heel turn from this guy that he's no longer just a frustrated, cucked, rich husband. Now he is absolutely a murderer. Um, I just think he's great in this and he's, he's
0: the, he's the perfect tonic to this kind of, it's a strange movie in a way because we've, like I say, there are, it it hits me in all the right spots emotionally, but there is lots to kind of giggle and chuckle at and including a Home Alone piece where he shoots the head off the, off the stairwell and then slips on it just, 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 just
2: crazy. <laughs> those damn micro machines amazing like camera
3: sweep at the exact moment oh, it's mm. fucking
4: brilliant well just yeah. just on that it's a nice segue into the stunts and the background artists and the kind of the, the wide shots in here Cameron really shows off the scope and scale. There's a wonderful wide shot when the flare goes up that takes you out and gives you the perspective yeah, of the Atlantic, right. Just which is so well timed. And like yeah. the editing of this film is really wonderful. And that I've talked to you a few times about sets and and scenes that I you know I'd love to work on because my work with with, with Crowd and everything boarding the Titanic when they they've built they've built the starboard of it or the port they've had to flip it anyway. The the numbers there and the construction of all that and the, the production design. The, I've, I've written down the production designer because just to hat off to Peter Lemon and Martin Lang. Um, Peter Lemon oh, did um, Aliens yeah. and uh, the Bond films up to uh, Casino Royale. It's extraordinary, this set. I, I, when I watched it, I was trying to figure out, well, where does the composition end of real and VFX? And... It's kind of seamless throughout the majority of the film, mm. and the, the people boarding is an extraordinary set. Um, that I'm, sequence yeah. is incredible. That, That's that sequence, is
0: gen- genuinely, when you when you say to when people say and people are saying it more now as cinema starts to sort of feel like it's in a bit of a decline, they say, "Well, you kind of got to watch. This is a film you got to watch on the big screen." They're talking about those moments, aren't they? That is literally. That is why you go and watch movies. Pure escapism, but scope. Like well, that, the, the sequence with the car that comes down and then we sweep that's around. That's the car they're sheep. shagging. It is as ah. well. Set that, listen, we love a setup and payoff. Yeah. Very and good. that is indeed the car that they're shagging. When
4: they're playing cards galley, that's the penknife he uses to cut, for Ritz's to cut the ropes as well. Oh. Setup and Cameron's, Cameron's full of it, man. He's full He's of great. it.
2: That, that sequence works for me, the boarding. I was just going to say that as a positive, it works for me, not just because of the effects, but you're, you're aware of the fates of these people, um, whether it's first viewing or second viewing or whatever, if you're aware of the, what happens and that just, the the people waving goodbye and it just simple that there's a little girl in someone's arms and she's waving goodbye. He's
0: stolen that, he's stolen that from Schindler's List. I can't, I can't ever feel like James Cameron's gone, Schindler's List had a girl in a red jacket. I will. Make a, a prominent girl because then we see her later yeah. when water starts to flood in with a dad, and a dad's like, "Oh, what the fuck!" What? Uh, mm-hmm. And you like well, the girl is on the ship. You know, we see her twice. Yeah. There's once where is that a best girl? Is best girl Car- Carla? Yeah, or yeah. It's like uh, it's a it's a it's a boat. And it's like it's a ship, Daddy. That again, they are those little moments sprinkled in where you watch it once and subconsciously, like the tragic fate that is going to you know that's ahead of them. That's yeah. where the Jurassic World works. Yeah, the
2: the, yeah. the images and are you loaded.
4: Know, you know, they,
0: um, they flipped
4: that boarding sequence. So it's all dressed in a mirror image. So all the, all the letterings backwards because they had to build the ship on one side. Oh, anyway, that blows my mind. The he was obsessive piracy.
3: about the, the direction he wanted the smoke from the funnels yeah. to go. And that apparently yeah. the prevailing winds when they built the set in Mexico were such that they had to build it backwards and then flip it optically. Insane. Mm. Yeah. This is another thing as far as when you're talking about the, um, the integration of the digital elements. Mm. This is the, the, the point at which when CGI was still new enough that it was a tool that had to be very carefully used. Yeah. This is when they fucking planned everything. They knew when they were going to use it and they knew how to integrate a Yeah. It, it wasn't like,
4: player. uh, I've seen it on sets. It's not like a yeah. fix it in post comment or, or a conversation with a VFX. Can you paint that out? Like, yeah, that's fine. Okay. This is real planning and we're shooting on film and on the Panaflex cameras and, you know, it, everything has to be like really well planned out. And it, when we get into the visuals later with the, the syncing, it's extraordinary cinema, all of that. And I, I mentioned the stunts, it's, um, second unit, uh, well, stunt coordinator was Simon Crane. Who I got to work with on Edge of Tomorrow, and he's a very successful action second unit director since Titanic. So he'd have learned a lot of his craft from Cameron and the action there, because he's very well respected. Well, you
0: feel you feel the hits when they're falling, when when it's vertical,
4: like. But everyone I, in the water, galley, everyone in the water. I was trying to figure out this morning. Okay, so where do where would I have background artists, and where would it be stunts? Well, oh, from a health and safety thing, I wouldn't really have many. Crowd in there, it, and like, but there's so many stunt performers
0: here. This is massive. This is huge. There are a couple of shots or sequences. I'm thinking, especially when the captain says, "Murdoch, stretch her legs." There's a shot <laughs> yeah. where there's basically sprites, yeah, and they just. There is a Thomas little bit of Tunk uncanny Canny valley. People. Yeah, it's great. Talk. It's great until Murdoch comes out. I, I didn't notice it until yeah. Murdoch comes out. Once, once they have Murdoch walk in, you go, and also 4K restoration, which I watched yeah. it on. It doesn't help it. You're like, oh no. But it's, but for the tight, it's still better than
4: some stuff you see today. That wide shot, the Titanic going across the Atlantic is, it's wonderful. And that's all animated. It's insane. And we were just discussing offline some face replacement stuff, Matt, that when Jack and Rose running away from the water and I said, is it? Because I always remember the light shining off of Kate's face a bit weird. I never noticed it with Jack and Gally asked me to look at it again and he is. I'm like, well, they're face-replacing people in 96, 97. That's way – like Cameron's doing – you know, again, he's doing everything. But it's planned, Patrick, isn't it? This is the thing.
0: So he knows, like, okay, I'm going to have to slightly obscure that. So Mm -hmm. I'll use a strobe. Yeah. he's like, I've done this sequence before. I did it in Aliens. We're going to get – James James Horner, play Alien Score. We're going to go flashing strobes, lots of water. So you're literally blinking. You miss it. It's only if you can – if you stop it frame by frame that you go – their faces have
4: been rot-
0: rotoscoped on. But, but again, better than some stuff
4: you see in recent years. And how? I always wonder how is that possible? Why can't.
3: I love the, uh, um, the model corridor as well. With the, with the water banging, the banging all the doors in one after another. That's an incredible piece of model work. And, um, yeah, just. It's the integration. Possibly the the only one shot that stood out to me was um that has the same thing, which which always happens, which is that it's. I think there's one shot which has the impossible camera, where it goes right over the top of the ship, and because of that, it, it goes kind of all the way along. And because of that, there are so many elements to be added together, and because you know your brain understands what a camera can and can't do, so that's usually the point at which it shows. It seems, but I mean, in a film of this length to be that convincing almost across the board?
4: Well, there's a lot of practicality, uh, practical in-camera stuff in this as well. The set of the the rear of the ship, the, the sets that you see on the behind-the-scenes footage online, they're huge sets and they're really convincing. And it's weird how I saw some stuff uh, behind the scenes and it, on a normal camera it can look quite small and uh, unconvincing. And then when you put it through a cinematic lens and light it this film the film looks amazing and matt you sometimes yeah. we talk about a modern audience and how they would perceive an older film yeah i think titanic really holds up for yeah. everyone today
2: yeah and and it's a necessary uh, there may be issues with the cgi but it's such a necessary leap forward and you're right patrick james cameron's always the one who does it first like even like avatar i don't really care but what he's doing is going to propel that kind of cinema forward in such a way that no one else, you know, really does.
0: It's why they're so expensive, Matt. He's, mm. he always buys the DVD player first when it was like 350 <laughs> <Yeah>. quid. <laughs> that's, that's just how it is. Mm. Can we, can we talk about, and and I love this. Um, and this is going to be the first time I get to say that. And I don't know why I didn't say it on aliens, but I kind of knew we were going to do Titanic one day, James Horner, um, rest in peace, incredible artist. Um, and, I just love the score to this, but I also love the story. So, you know, normally I'm not the, the guy to do the trivia, but I do think it's fundamental in the fact that they did fall out on aliens. And I think James Horner said that James Cameron's demands were just too demanding. In the yeah, time it was Cameron
2: and uh, Galen heard. They were pushing yeah, him it to finish like... a score too quickly. Oh uh, yeah. Without a locked picture cut.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So he said, I'm not, I'm not going to work with you again because it was such a horrible experience. And then James Horner does the score for Braveheart and then James Cameron listens to the score of Braveheart and the story goes that he called James Horner up and said, listen, I've been listening to your score for Braveheart on loop. It's incredible. Can we bury the hatchet? I I need you and only you to do the music for Titanic. I just just love that kind of story. It's kind of of romantic, like the story of the Titanic itself, that they would Hmm. reconcile their Their feud.
2: Do you know what came first? Because it's the da 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 da. Did he write that?
4: Yeah, prior to
2: it's like Robin Hood again.
4: Yes, yeah. I had that down. I was like, it was exactly like Prince of Thieves. He wrote it. um, William, someone did the lyrics, and then Celine Dion.
0: No, well, Patrick, there was another step. James Horner originally sung the song to Celine Dion, (laughs) and she said, "You were that was dreadful." So James Horner then was like, I'll just play the piano. I was like, yes, just play the piano. And again, Celine was James Horner's idea. James Cameron was very adamant he did not want a song. Mm. He was like, I do not want a song. It will make it, the irony, it will make it a bit corny oh, and a bit God. cheesy. And James Horner like, no, you need a song. I mean, it does. Of course it does. It all does, the, all, the,
2: all the, Where's his awareness? Like, he doesn't realise how cheesy it yeah, is. Yeah, but I like,
0: I love these old, these 90s films with those big oh, songs. Oh, it's fantastic. Like, it's, it's, I miss that. Yeah. Batman Forever would not be Batman Forever without Seal <laughs> singing yeah. about a kiss, a <laughs> kiss the
2: road. And hold
3: me, got thrill to... me, kiss me, kill me. You two.
0: Oh, I love yeah. that song. Yeah. Well, um, less less, you 2 obviously. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, but... <laughs> He did it less successfully on the, uh, at the end of Avatar. I've not seen Avatar since I saw it in the cinema, but I'm pretty sure it ends on a, a very generic Leona Lewis ballad. Oh, I don't remember that. No. The era of the great movies song, I think, has passed. I think it's everyone's kind of, it is corny, and you have to have a film which is completely devoid of irony in order to sell it. You need the music video to be, you know, Celine's on the, she's
0: on the front of the ship. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> speaking of i'm going to send this is i'm gonna to have to put this in the blog somewhere so that people can see this i get, i've just sent you guys a uh, photograph that i didn't take sadly but i did see this there is a waxwork in a museum oh it's amazing isn't it in san francisco and uh it's on fisherman's wharf and you go into a room and there is like a a velvet black backdrop with LED lights, and they've recreated the front of the ship. And there's the fucking worst waxworks of Kate and Leo. <laughs> Kate, especially poor Kate, they have absolutely mangled her. Um, and so- and uh, and Jack looks like he smelled a fart. And <laughs> it, it, it plays one minute of my heart will go on on a loop amazing all day that's amazing imagine
0: the, imagine the your job is to do the loops that's great yeah. i mean don't get me wrong the song you know became so ubiquitous that a bit like the movie though as soon as the film came out it almost felt cool to knock it you know it was like oh well the, my guilt you know you would say it you would you would veil it as my guilty pleasure is titanic it's like what Hold on, let's calm down. Let us, I mean, I'm maybe walking into my summary a little bit, but I was like, let's calm the fuck down. This isn't, you know, this isn't like gone with the, well, it, it kind of is. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those films yeah. that, as we've said, technically, but also the structure of the story, there are lots of problems. But, but yeah, one of them is not the music. I think the music is so pitch perfect. And then the fact that James Horner decides to just go full aliens. When, when they're in the lower decks is great. That's when it becomes an action film and you hear those, those clanks that he did in Aliens and that you kind of hear in Terminator 2 as well. Like you hear them and you're like, yep, James Horner's back. He's doing bombastic.
3: And it makes sense. It's thematically appropriate. They're on a big heavy metal ship full of yeah. rivets. It's, you know, it's all, it's all got a point.
4: One, uh, one decision James Cameron did make that was good though to avoid the corniness, Gunny, was the,
0: Alternative ending. Uh, have you, uh, uh, have, have you all seen it?
3: Yeah, I've never seen it, nor did I know it existed until. <laughs> okay. pa- did I didn't
0: know it existed till last night. Patrick, do you want to um, give us and the and the audience a a story time of that old ending?
4: Once Rose has finished her story of a survival from the Titanic aboard the Carpathia, Lovett is talking to her daughter about how close he got. He had a cigar ready. When they see Rose on the back of the ship, oh, wait, don't jump again, Rose. they're going to a they're going to a rescue like Jack, but Rose has the heart of the ocean in her hand. <gasps> Lovett it. has been cherishing this item for three years now. He can almost touch it in fact, Rose, put it in my hand, let me touch it just once, please. Rose abides, putting it in Lovett's hand. he gets to feel the heart of the ocean in his hand at once. Victory is his. But something in him changes. He gives it back to Rose and she can return it to the, to the Atlantic where it belongs with the Titanic. And she dies.
2: <laughs> that really sucks, lady.
0: What, what, yeah, what Patrick's missed out there is that. I couldn't, that I couldn't remember it all. Sorry. The, the mate shouts, that sucks, lady. And then Bill Paxton <laughs> goes into maniacal laughter. Yeah. The
2: camera cranes up above him.
0: The camera cranes up like Sean Penn in, um, in, in that, River. Uh, or, or at
2: the River. end of uh, Shawshank <laughs> when uh, Tim <laughs> yeah, Robbins, yeah, okay. it's just
0: unbelievable. I, honestly, I, I watched it. I, was, I not only did I piss myself laughing, but I was just like, <laughs> "That is one of the worst, worst scenes." Oh, this ever is seen. insane. <laughs> Gloria <laughs> Stewart fucking... looks
4: like she's uh, like a uh, uh, she looks like, like a some... demon. Yeah, she looks, she looks like she's possessed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, <my goodness. laughs> it's insane, Devlin. And Devlin, the way she chucks it, you know how you know how in the original ending. Danielle, uh, when she takes her makeup off in the evening, she uses a face wipe and she always, she always, cause she knows it, it makes me laugh. She does the, <laughs> ah! she does the sound and she throws it in the back. <laughs> cause I always laugh because it's so funny when she's like, ah! but in yeah. this, she's got it, she's got it hanging over her head and she throws it back and she goes, whee, like that. Honestly, it is yeah. fucking nuts. Wow. It's bonkers. James Cameron's got a lot of power, but I've got to think that John Landau went. James, any chance we can dial that back just a to touch? <laughs> <That's>...
2: <laughs> I thought the alternate ending was uh... going to be Bill Paxton running off with with the jewel, like just put it in my hand. I thought he was going to dive him in after, and after run it, run off. Yeah, but he gives, it, he gives it back.
0: And the implication is that she, he has fallen in love with her daughter. Yeah. And that is yeah. that is the real. Yeah, it's material in wealth time. is not important. Oh, so, but, oh, cuz yeah. oh, no, cuz uh, Patrick forgot she goes on a big monologue about you think that material wealth is oh, all yeah, and you're oh, like yeah, yeah, this yeah. is unbelievable. Like who that it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a mess in a naked gun. I was watching it though like this is not the same film. You know, like this is
4: nowhere. Well, I find it really new. revealing
2: that it was conceived and shot mm. and edited and it was almost in the film. How misjudged mm.
0: And then they just went, eh, that's better. Yeah. Just, just get her to Put chuck it, in it in the off bin. the side. Yep. <laughs> Put it yeah.
2: In
1: the
0: bin. <laughs> yeah. they made the right decision though.
2: Okay. We missed Billy Zane. Any extra Billy Zane stuff? Any, uh,
0: oh, well, just every like? scene with Billy Zane. I love the, um, when he, it's all the micro, uh, transgressions, like taking the cigarette out, whether the meal, uh, yeah. she knows it's like, it's all that stuff because actually in the context of the, the time, the early scenes, he seems like you know not okay, but past the a bit, course, Just you yeah. know, a bit dull, you know, a yeah. bit, dull you know, a bit bre- But it's it's the moment when he's like, uh oh, 20 I'll do it." He's like, "What to do?" <laughs> Rose is displeased. <laughs> it's, it's all that stuff where you're just
4: like, yeah. "This guy is <laughs> fucking great." Is he, is he holding champagne glasses? And- yeah. It's the way he has his hand on his on his on his hip and yeah he he is uh, there's an interview with him I couldn't find it in time I didn't have time sorry but Melissa was telling me uh, an interview with Billy Zane where he was just saying I just did what I wanted in that film I I was just having a do you not feel like
2: the the pantomime element and the mustache twirling could have led to a more satisfying death I mean Mario gets crushed
3: by a chimney
2: could could we not have that Mm -hmm.
3: you can't you kind of get a Lovejoy Although, because they've, they've excised the sequence where Lovejoy goes on a second gun-based rampage to chase them through the ship. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's kind of the, he's the, ugh, avatar of that when he gets, <laughs> like, dropped right through the, sh- the ship at the exact point it splits. So I guess he's your, he's your cathartic death, whereas I think the, the, the miserable, like, weaselly survival of, of, uh, Cal, yeah is almost a punishment in and of itself because you've then got, you know, that you see some of the people on the lifeboats and you can see the survivor's guilt just etching its way into their face in, in that exact moment. And yeah, him, him having just a kind of a, a, a weak source suicide death, you know, off screen right. some years later, probably in misery, kind of, I don't know, it feels like a bit of a reward.
4: I think there's a context there at the time as well when we get into World War One if people were to deter from, or they were called cowards, in, in the kind of culture, especially in Britain, um, uh, and like Bruce Ismay, who went on that boat as well, and he, um, Cadbury from Richie Rich. And yep. when, when he's, when, <laughs> and the bad guy what? from,
2: uh, uh Anaconda. So.
4: Anaconda, <laughs> yeah. yeah, loves the he, golf. He was always thereafter called the cowardly survivor of the Titanic. That was his title and he was well known that way because he was chairman of White Star Line and people thought he should have gone down with.
0: His mistake, essentially, and it and it feeds in Matt to the haves and the have-nots. You know, no, it wasn't fair. As simple as simple as that, it, it simply was not fair. Yeah. Like the construction of the the construction of the class system and the fact that not everyone had equal opportunity to get to survive. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, discount the the uh, the women and children element. You know, he he was of a certain he represented a certain element of society. That got away with it. But obviously he didn't in the end because of the, the big crash in, in 28.
2: I w I I think it was a silly kind of bloodlust, like, um, the fatal attraction bloodlust. I wanted him to get sucked into a propeller or something,
3: but I think that you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh,
0: should we, should we go for favorite scenes before we get into our final thoughts? Mm. Um, I'll, I'll start with you, Devlin.
3: There was a scene which stood out. It was the, the only scene in this entire rewatch that, that really kind of, uh, uh threatened to, to moisten the eyes which was um uh the band resuming it's uh it shouldn't work as well as it does it's it's you know it's it's a string quartet playing on the thing but when the violinist takes back up and he starts playing solo and then you have the incredible montage of the of the people and it's because it's such a transition it's the it's the it's the end of the kind of slow moving melancholy and it's the beginning of the action kind of the ghastly action set piece finale and it just it works so so well so um yeah that was that was the point for me that was uh that that, that moment really is just so massively constructed. Right. That's it then Come on,
0: go! goodbye. Molly.
1: Good luck. Goodbye a long, old chap. Take the on the table. load
3: Um, how about you? Uh, let's go with Galley first.
0: We've talked about the scripts, talked about the dialogue. There's lots of themes about, you know, Cameron's kind of playing in the sandbox of the time with how women were oppressed um, and, and second class citizens, regardless of their status. And that there's a more obvious scene where with Rose and Rose's mum, where she's constricting her in a in a busk. Um, but actually the, the scene that's got a little bit more nuance is when Kathy Bates challenges, uh, the, and he is just a white, he's not an officer. He's just, uh, like a, a ship hand, uh, but he's the man on the boats. And even though Kathy Bates and the rest of the women are first class women, they're still second class citizens. If we go back, they'll swamp the boat. They'll pull us right down. I'm telling you.
1: Knock it off. You're scaring me. Come on girls. Grab an oar, let's go. Are you out of your
4: mind? We're in the middle of the North Atlantic. Now, do you people want to live or do you want to die?
1: I don't understand a one of you. What's the matter with you? It's your men out there. There's plenty of room for more. And there'll be one less on this boat. If you don't shut that hole in your face.
0: What about you, Matt? I'm interested. I mean, uh, favorite scene. You're not going to say the credits, are you?
2: <laughs> no, no. I've, I've got a favorite shot. Um fa- My favorite shot is when Rose gets out of the car because there was an interesting thing that happened. Her, her bonnet was really big and she was struggling to get out. So it was choreographed with her hand and then her foot and then the hat. And this was a surprise to Jim who'd planned a completely different shot. So he had to angle really high to see her coming out from above. And then he booms down to reveal her. I've talked a lot about introductory shots. We've done it on speed and we did it on, what was the last one we did? Uh Predator 2, Harrigan's introduction. Predator, Predator 2, yeah. Harrigan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Harrigan but, and Kate Winslet. This is terrific. Uh So I thought th- the way Jim adjusted to... um just the awkwardness of the hat and made it look very elegant and quite iconic. I oh, it was cool. I agree with Devlin about the moment at the clock. Uh My favorite cut is the, the most erotic moment of my life. And then it cuts, cuts to them there. I love that bit. Uh And I think the King of the world sequence, although it's really easy to dismiss it now because it's been spoofed, uh you know, and, and parodied so often, I, I think uh, it, it's less the, the Leo and Kate stuff and more the bit where he's just with, with his buddy um and uh i i just like the uh, that moment uh and then finally it was always the bit where the the ship cracks in half and um i think there's there's still a lot of practical stuff going on there but i think the cg is, is quite seamlessly integrated and that was always the moment even watching that on a little portable tv uh, when i was 15 or 16 i i always enjoyed that and i kind of wish that i'd seen the film at the cinema 'Cause I think I would be probably more on on your side um if if I had. Uh Patrick, how about you?
4: Uh, these these are I'm struggling struggling I I there's a lot to like in in here. De- Devlin mentioning the montage I think is is great and it really stops you when you're watching it and you makes you think and kinda of hits home. I like the dinner scene when Jack's invited up. He says, uh, I'm sat here with you fine people. I, I think, um, he, Leo's, that's his, Leo's strongest scene for me. And, and I quite enjoy it. Um, the boarding is all fucking great. Um, and that, that dinner scene, galley goes back to what you're saying about just represent, he's introduced his new money in that bit and the, there's still context going on and character drive and when he, um, I I I like the drawing scene, you know, like, like the King of the world scene, Matt, it's very easy to dismiss, but that is if, if in Terminator with the slow sex music didn't work between, um, from Cameron, I think he's nailed kind of the sexy scene here. And it is, I remember, you know, the cinema kind of, Oh, there's a nipple. And you've been with female company (laughs) when I I was twelve years old. and, And Oh my God. And it, I, I, Watching it the other day, well, this is a really well-constructed kind of, uh I'll call it an erotic scene because that's what Rose called it. And it's quite, it's striking, it's memorable. Um, But bugger me,
3: Critics Corner right ahead.
2: Well, I finally lost it with Ebert. I despair with this guy.
3: <laughs> its
2: It's disgraceful what these two get away with. Um it, between selling as raisinettes Nets during their video pick of the week segment uh Ebert called this a glorious Hollywood epic uh wonderfully well crafted and well worth the wait the, the dramatic tale is handled intelligently and acted well I don't know what film he was watching cuz you know there you go uh the rest of us uh, the uh, no I was wondering if he knew what bad acting looked like but um he said that it wasn't a melodramatic soap opera uh, and the statement itself belies the truth, which means it must have been in his mind that, that somebody at least considered it that. Uh, he liked the final hour. Um he said he liked that it just wasn't people running around with screaming and fire. And he liked the computer simulations of how it sank because that gave the audience a blueprint. Uh, and Siskel largely agreed with him. He called the computer animation a masterstroke. He referenced that uh, the Gilbert Grape performance by Leo was transcendent. Uh, I think he was talking about Gilbert Grape rather than Titanic, but um he did note that Leo outshone Kate Winslet here. I found myself in the weird position of agreeing with him. Uh But yeah, so oh, I was cynical at this point when I wrote these notes, but yeah, that's what they thought.
0: Mm, interesting. I, I mean, I, to be honest with you, largely aligns with a lot of what I would say are in my final thoughts apart from the melodrama which it 100 percent is i mean that you know there's there's no getting around the fact that you know if if michael mann can do it in last of the mohicans james cameron can do it in titanic it is pure melodrama well, th- but... to be
2: pedantic the, the the definition of it is exaggerated characters and exciting events intended to appeal to the emotions and that's melodrama and that's titanic you can't get around it you either like it or you don't but it is that that's simply what it is
0: well patrick well we probably better establish our buzzers but um it's time for the pot quiz
4: yes what i'm looking forward to your buzzers what what what's yours davlin
0: i have a child <laughs> <laughs> yes good one
2: <laughs> that one. <laughs> that all works matt the water's freezing and there aren't enough boats <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh. And Gally What's your buzzer today please
1: I'm gonna miss you <laughs>
4: <laughs> No So just a reminder Of the pop, uh, the pop quiz um, Matt is leading two Gally's got one Devlin You have zero So Devlin No pressure But here Ray we go with, with question one <laughs> How many souls Were on board the Titanic
3: I have a child Devlin <laughs> Now, was it 2,200?
4: Correct. Whoa. Nice. Sibling. I put the pressure on and he's starting to deliver. Uh Question two. What does Jack throw at Cal at dinner? I'm going to miss you. Gully. <laughs> Some matches. Some matches is correct.
2: Gully with the foot there. Very good.
4: And question three to finish off your Titanic pop quiz. What's the li- What's the name of the little girl that Jack dances with? I have a child! Devlin! For the win! Cora. Cora's correct! Whoa, well good. done. Devlin is on the, on the, on the board. Well done.
0: Yeah, well done. We've lit all of the boiler rooms. Well done, <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much, uh, Patrick. Obviously, um, you know a little bit of light fun at the end of a tragic tale, but you know, (laughs) levity is always a, a must in order to, to, to carry on, I guess. So, um, our final thoughts, I will, I'll start with you Devlin. We'll keep it short because the Carpathian waits, um, final thoughts on Titanic. And would you recommend it to our listeners?
3: It is a melodramatic, corny film. And that is fine. Isn't it? At the end of the day, like, uh, um, I think all of the criticisms of the film are entirely valid uh, when people say that there's simplistic broad brush characters and uh I also just think that there's just some weird alchemy whereby it's just perfectly calibrated to be exactly what it needed to be, and it's carried off with such a tremendous amount of confidence that I think it's quite difficult not to get swept along with it you can i think there there are eye rolling moments throughout. And I think the sincerity of it and just the massive sweeping achievement of it probably, uh, for me at least, it kind of, it it washes them all overboard. There's again, plenty that doesn't really stand up to individual scrutiny of individual moments, but I think overall it's just so kind of overwhelmingly grandiose that, uh, I, I think it works. And I don't think it works in spite of itself. I think it works exactly how it was calibrated to work. I think it's extremely well engineered, uh, and, and by a guy who really did care. I don't think there is a version of James Cameron that doesn't give every inch of, of himself to a project. And you know, it's potentially a shame that a filmmaker of, of his skill, uh, after this hasn't really scaled these heights ever again and doesn't seem to be particularly interested in the kind of stories that we liked from him earlier in his career where he still had a bit more of an edge i think that james cameron is now lost uh i also think that perhaps um digital filmmaking is a a realm into which he has probably disappeared and i think you will lose the handcrafted like majesty of something as as big and as uh and as impressive as this physically it has like a physical weight to it and i don't think we'll see the likes of it ever again so for that you have to say that it's worth it's worth watching it's it's worth reliving and um i i think uh i think it's i think it's very successful um and it's over it's overwhelming um popularity at at the time and the fact that it has persisted as as strongly as it has uh, is is just testament to the the extraordinary amount of work that went into it so uh yeah it's hackneyed and it's corny but i enjoyed it a great deal and i would probably watch it again um how about you patrick
4: it's weird this week i was kind of ready to be more cynical about it and to pick more faults and instead i sat for three hours 14 and i really fucking enjoyed it it's Thoroughly entertaining. I, it doesn't feel it's three hours at all for me. I don't know about anyone else. Um, because it, it rattles along at whatever knots the Titanic was speeding at. And I'm into the characters. I'm into the the love story. It does cinematically manipulate me emotionally. And I'm really into it. I really marvel at the kind of majesty of the filmmaking process in it. I think. You, from one side of recommending it as a film and as a piece, uh, yeah, a film to watch. Absolutely. Another side of recommendation is on filmmaking and how big blockbuster can be made, um, rather than blockbusters today, which are a lot more blue screen and a lot more, um, CGI. This is Cameron showing his craft really well. Um, It's edited, edited brilliantly. The music's great. It's, you know, I I can laugh at the dialogue, but I'm um, very much enjoying it. It's, it's, it's a really good film, I think. And like Devlin said, it's hard to imagine something made like this again right now in, in how filmmaking is, is processed nowadays. Um, whether it's a lost art form, it's not. It's, we're into modern art forms now and, but, we like harking back to the nights, do not we, with our miniatures and our practical effects. And I think that's why I really like the films that we pick on this. And Titanic is, is one of them. Um, yeah, it's great. It is great, I think. And Matt, what, so where, where are you at with Titanic
2: now? I'm, I'm still, I've, I've got kind of two reviews here. It's kind of peculiar. It's the first time this has really happened. Uh, so I, I still firmly believe it's a severely flawed, film and but I do accept as a disconnect between the way I see it and the way the majority of film goers do or did or will like including us that like we're a bit split on this one um I think um if the Titanic does sink for me it's it's because of this kind of obvious hackneyed romance I felt like some of it had been dialed into a, a trope generator and I wanted to say earlier about Uh, in reference to something devlin was saying about this acceptance that it's ticking boxes it's doing it efficiently but it is nevertheless it feels like it's ticking boxes um i do have still have this thing that i'm clinging to that it's cynically designed um and built around a, a man who's kind of exploring his deep sea diving fascinations um I think that the one thing that bothers me the most is the performances. I don't think they're ever at the forefront of Cameron's thinking. And I think he's more concerned about skylights and staircases and the staging of scenes actually over the performances within the scenes. I mean, you mentioned that Billy Zane just did what he wanted and I think you can, you can tell that he hasn't, I think he's been directed to be a villain. and I don't think you should direct people that way. You know, we've, we've talked about villains in cinema and yet, um, but, um also, I do think it's too long although i I agree it didn't it didn't feel as long as it is i do I do think it's a little overly long um I think Cameron wanted it to be accessible, but he overdid it um i, I, I think the state of the art effects help um there, there seems to be like this cynical cut and paste approach to the storytelling There's like a wicked stepmother trope. You know, there's some Cinderella in there and there's a lot of Romeo and Juliet, but it feels like the Cliff Notes version it feels like he watched the Baz Luhrmann film rather than actually reading any Shakespeare. Um, we can obsess about the the recreation of history and the attention to detail. But I think you can only do that if the film itself works. And I just never really liked it, Um I, you know, until until very recently, actually, I mean, I'll. I'll do some positives because one of my rewatches was really enjoyable. Um I had a couple of beers and sat down and watched it and and for one mysterious reason or another it actually clicked with me and I started to understand um the, the I I think elements of why it works. Um if I'd been to the cinema to see it with a girl when I was 15 I think it would sort of be in my heart a bit more and I think it would be um something i kind of had more of a nostalgic view of um i think if the audience is feeling optimistic and you're in the mood for something like this i think you're really gonna enjoy it um i i feel like some of my views on it have been a bit too dismissive and i'm not even sure if i was entirely right because i did get james cameron wrong in terms of his his greed um I, i think there are there are myriad faults here but that there's a winning spirit to the film i think that some of that shone through on one of my my rewatches even as soon as like five minutes into watching it i felt myself being propelled along by it so I, I wish i'd seen it on the big screen but sadly i didn't so i'm always sort of chasing this one to catch up so yeah mixed bag from me
0: i can totally recommend it because i think most people out there would love it um galley you want to finish it off I think the legacy of Titanic goes beyond just the fact that I think the film would work for modern audiences. It fundamentally has changed studio filmmaking. Um, big investment, big return, you know, gone of it. We've talked many times before about the days of the, the middling budget movie that is not really out to make a great deal of money, but just get bums on seats and, um, you know, project power for the the studios, that's kind of gone now. They're basically putting all their chips on these big IPs. And you can probably, if you were looking at the Venn diagram, go back to this movie being one of the reasons. But that's not James Cameron's fault. That's the studios looking at 200 million investment, 2 billion return. Well, that's where we're at now. Uh, I think the movie stands on its own. I think it's an exceptional uh, example of just... Incredible craftsmanship across all departments. You know, James Cameron's helming it, but my God, are oh, is everyone here to play. I disagree with you, Matt, about the performances. I think they're, they're kind of pitch perfect for what this needed to be. Um, this was never meant to be high art. This was meant to be a kind of a disaster movie with a romance story and an opportunity to kind of tap into that deference that we all seem to have about this catastrophic event that happened not that long ago. And I think it does it. Um, I would say to you, look at the bad examples, and I would say they're the more cynical ones that came after. I'm looking at you, Pearl Harbor. Uh, And there was a few others as well that were definitely cynically made as, well, what was the Titanic formula? Love story, historical event, big budget. Let's go. And uh, there was a few of them post-Titanic but Titanic still remains. So there we go. So it's a strong recommendation for me. Um, I do hope our audiences check out the uh, alternate ending though, because it was fucking incredible.
4: It belongs in Titanic 2, which if you've not seen Titanic 2 on Amazon Prime with um, uh, the family of Dick Van Dyke in it, <laughs> Whoa, that's going to blow you away also.
3: <laughs> Various Van Dykes.
4: Yeah. I think they
0: funded it, I think. Right. Um, Devlin, Matt. Where can our audiences find Titanic?
4: It's actually not available. Oh, sorry, I jumped in. My name's not Devlin or Matt. Sorry, uh, it's because <laughs> Matt said he couldn't access just watch. It's not actually um, on any streaming service at the moment mm-hmm. in the UK. You can you can pay for it in Got your it. usual vendors. Got to rent it. Yeah, I actually bought it in a four film bundle on Apple because I had some birthday money left over with The Beach, with Romeo and Juliet, and The Revenant. And I didn't read it properly. It didn't come with any iTunes extras, so I was a bit annoyed at myself. I'm not really. Anyway, they were doing so well okay. with their
2: extras as well. Never mind.
4: I got well. I've got the extras on the beach and Romeo and Juliet and The Revenant. Just the Titanic didn't.
2: Oh, if you want to look in our playlist uh, this week, we've got uh, commentaries from the cast and crew and James Cameron himself, and that alternate ending. If you want to see it, it's in our uh, Titanic <laughs> playlist on the rewindmoviecast.com.
4: And yeah. I, I've spoken about it a lot throughout today's, um, hark back, but, uh, A Night to Remember is on Britbox to stream, and I highly recommend that and the book also. If you're, if you like the Titanic and you want to revisit kind of where it, it comes from, then, uh, yeah, strong recommend from.
0: Wow, fantastic. Devlin, um, you know, we're, we're like the White Star line here, aren't we? Uh, we'll take any opportunity to, uh, to sell anything <laughs> we can. Have. Um, do you want to explain to our listeners about our t-mill store well
3: i mean why can't we profite here from misery um <laughs> as matt <laughs> mentioned rewind that's where we put the blogs and matt's uh youtube playlists uh there will be a, a tab at the top which says shop that'll take you to the t-mill there's the usual rewind Movie Cast merch there's a bunch of tremendous t-shirts i've just added a new range of t-shirts based on the infamous japanese exploitation films uh female prisoner 701 scorpion which is an absolute favorite of mine uh we also have a red bubble shop where you can buy a shower curtain if you want (laughs) i'm not gonna tell you what to do Uh, well
0: i'm i'm gonna sort of make a suggestion any chance we can get some zane tops i mean there's lots you know
3: Made a ha- we should have it. a
0: Ham Neal series of t-shirts.
3: Well, uh, um, oh, was on, Matt on, on was, was so hard I mean, at work at one point making us a, a Ham Neal logo. My so Ham Neal drawing is finished.
0: so cruel I abandoned it, but I, I might bring it back. <laughs> okay well I, I i basically all i want is i want a t-shirt that says you like lamb don't you sweet pea that's it that's all i want okay <laughs> okay by the time this episode is released
3: uh please feel free to follow the link devlin does you can find it in the show notes here and you will be able to buy a t-shirt that says you like lamb don't you sweet pea
0: <laughs> Listeners, if you enjoy what we do, please like, subscribe, um, pen a review, tell your friends, spread the gospel. That's all I ask. Please do that. We really appreciate it. It genuinely does help bring uh, other people to the party. So, please do it. That's up. Right, team. We will say our goodbyes. Um, There are plenty more fish in the sea, Jack. You might have been the king of the world, but you should be the king of wishful thinking. Yes, I've just done it. I've gone full partridge. Take care, everyone. Stay safe.
3: It's Sayonara in two seconds. It's Devlin in London.
4: She's got a whole ass sticking in the air. And that's a big ass. It's Patrick
0: in London.
2: Gentlemen, it has been a privilege playing with you tonight. It's Matt in South Korea.
0: Back to listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.